Hello and welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. I'm your host, Daniel Colva. Wee, wee, wee. Wee, wee. Um, and today's episode is brought to you by... Uh, by the YouTube channel Dev As Life. Dev As Life is the name of the YouTube channel. Thank that you, Dev As Life. is brought to you by Dead Ass Life. Yo, that's a uh, Dev As Life. Dev as life. Yeah, job. Caleb, have you ever uh, found yourself stumbling upon the YouTube channel Dev as Life? Uh, no, sir. Good God, Caleb, you have to watch this YouTube channel. Okay. Dev as so, Life. Yep. So this guy is <laughs> All right. like... An indie app you, developer based in Osaka, Japan. If you like climb a mountain to meet the like the granddaddy uh, like monk on the top of a mountain of uh of like indie web developers with like a good aesthetic this this is the guy wow really yeah and he makes these videos the best screencasts i've ever seen in my entire life literally never seen a screencast with like more art direction and like vibes and aesthetics than this guy has somehow he so he has a camera pointing at his hands on the keyboard. Okay. And he uses that oh, funny. as his desktop background. Oh, I see that. That's crazy. And then he has his terminal with like opacity and blur over yep. top of that. So you see his hands moving behind the blurred terminal window as he's typing. Oh, wow. It's incredible. Um, anyway, he his aesthetic <laughs> is prime. Okay. He's like, he uses, I've totally grokked his tech stack he uses fish for his shell okay um and uh he uses vim for everything okay or NeoVim for everything okay and he has these full screencasts on his whole fish setup and his NeoVim setup and everything and he makes a uh he makes a a web app called ink Oh, I should probably look this up since I'm referencing him. Um, Inkdrop. He he makes an app called Inkdrop, which is like a markdown note-taking app. Okay. Um, that does like end-to-end encryption uh, for your... So it like syncs your notes between all your devices with end-to-end encryption. Mm. Okay. It runs on like Linux, Windows, Mac, all, everything. Um, okay. And it's like a React and React Native app. And so th- this guy is just vibing in his room, making this React and React Native app, and his lifestyle is like, I mean, for like a hermit web developer, which he is, like, okay. this guy has big Otwell energy as far as like aesthetic and vibes and like commitment to simplicity and I don't know. I just wow. found this YouTube channel and I was like dude i'm gonna watch all of this like sick yeah it's really it's really like goals shit as far as like how you want to design your life you know wow yeah very cool that's great i can't wait to watch it dude dev has i mean looks awesome looks like he's sitting in like a well-lit um area and uh, like just to describe this that like right like i see you see his fingers on the keyboard, but the camera is like inside the screen looking at his fingers at his hands. 
but like the background is blurred like bokeh like it's like an obviously a nice lens yeah um and that's that's the background of the screencast that is overlaid on top of it which is freaking cool yeah and i'm not exactly sure how he does it like he must have obs full screen with like his terminal over top of obs because it's almost like his desktop background is a live stream of his hands oh you don't think he would just do that in post well no but if you see like the terminal yeah his terminal has a blur effect on it right he so he can't just wouldn't be able to like chroma key out the terminal and preserve the blur so it means it's happening in real time it means when he's typing he's actually seeing his hands is that real could he be just chroma keying out a background he could be i'm just saying like it doesn't seem like he is based on like he's definitely like preserving the illusion that he's not if he is wow it's incredible i mean what he could be doing is he could have like a terminal that has like a green background on it right yeah and then he chroma keys out the terminal and the whole blurred window is fake yeah but i don't know man it's very it's pretty interesting it's very interesting because like you start watching you're like how the fuck is this guy doing this and i bet he has a video where he explains it yeah and i'm looking forward to finding that one that's very cool yeah nice so yeah good life yeah dude so prime Mm. i hope all the listeners and the users really go get after how long are these videos some are like an hour pretty long i watched him make a holographic terminal okay so he made a holographic display where there's like a display and then like multiple layers of acrylic and so it's like projecting so it's like four or five layers of a display okay um so you can do like 3d holographic stuff in like post or what is this what are we no, talking no, it's about? like a thing that sits on his desk that's like okay. about the size of an ipad oh it's just like a oh. holographic display oh i gotcha okay um and so then he was like i'm gonna make a theme for hyperterm oh. that works on this holographic display so that my terminal can be like 3d rendered that is so my, awesome on my holographic display that sits on my desk oh my gosh it's so cool <laughs> and like you learn a lot about like how hyperterm is just like a react app and you can just like go in there and like do react shit and so mm-hmm. he's using like 3js so 3js has an ability apparently okay. to uh overlay like a canvas as a texture onto a 3d object wow and so what he's doing is basically taking the the react component output of uh hyperterm yep and piping it into a canvas okay and then taking that canvas and applying it as a texture to three different 3js uh planes okay. which are right like layers and then whatever. he's using each of those planes as like a layer on the mm. thing and then he's chroma keying out the the different colors in those canvases so that he can have this like cool 3d terminal dude what in the world Dude, this guy's like wacky, weird, smart. Cool. Yeah, it's so cool. Can't wait to check it out. Yeah. How are you? Um, great. On the YouTube thing, I watched uh this morning. This is a pretty recent drop, I think. Ray Dalio, familiar with that dude? Uh-uh. No? Surprise, cuz if you're into like Kevin Rose, you know, modern day, I think he 
interviewed him on his on uh, foundation um mm-hmm. but anyways just I'm like one of those clear. i'm not like into kevin rose now okay yeah, yeah. i mean uh, this i i just learned that right now not that because you not know that that's like a bad is. thing but like i uh kevin rose is like like i also haven't listened to the latest paramore album yeah yeah you're not actively not into kevin rose but... yeah right exactly uh, yeah. maybe the latest paramore album's great i just yeah. i haven't given it a listen um anyway uh ray dalio super big investor guy like i'm okay. actually just curious ray dalio net worth always uh, the most accurate google search always uh 14 billion okay so pretty okay, rich yeah, doing good. um he's doing all right <laughs> having a good year yeah so anyway he put out a book i don't know how long ago called um the principles for dealing with the changing world order mm-hmm. and and i remember like seeing it but just figuring it's like too dense to care about or whatever but he just mm-hmm. put out a youtube video that's 45 minutes by the way it what it sounds like is like a uh like a catholic billionaire just discovered the jewish problem or something what's the jewish problem it's a thing in mar it's like a it's when you go down the the road of becoming an anti-semite you start with the jewish problem quote unquote it's it's like the gateway to all anti-semitic conspiracy theories um anyway uh guides to dealing with the changing world order sounds like a (laughs) sounds like a pamphlet on how the jews run the world or something run by written by a catholic billionaire interesting i that is an odd take daniel anytime i hear world order (laughs) what does world order mean to you well you know like new the new world order right i mean yeah yeah. which generally speaking new world order a normal life the new world order is in conspiracy theory circles generally code for the jews gotcha no this is like anyway (laughs) like what country currently is like the reserve currency and like, okay. how has that changed over history? Uh-huh, and uh-huh, is it uh-huh. about to change and be China, basically, yes. instead of the U.S.? Um, but whatever. It's 45 minutes long, and it's basically the book condensed into a 45-minute, like, very infotainment-y, somewhat, like, meditative bit. It's good. I think it's really good. I'm interested to hear your perspective on it as, uh, like, Marxist dude, because will... it's, like, very much a capitalist bit. I will um, do it, and in exchange, you have to also watch a video for me. Is it is like fun to watch though? It's it sounds exactly as fun to watch as this video. Okay, give it to um, me. So there's this guy whose name I forget, but he wrote a book called Princes of the Yen about okay. the Japanese economy. Yeah, and there is a documentary on YouTube that is clearly Richard Werner. Like, yep, it's clearly funded by him. Okay, um, and it's called it's. It's like an hour and a half documentary on YouTube about yep. how banks Japanese work in central the economy. Yes. How financiers did something to the Japanese economy. I forget. That's what the name of the video. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'll find the video. I'll put it in show notes or I won't tweet at me if I don't. Um, right. We just have to find it right now because we're not putting it in show notes. It's called um, Princes of the Yen, the documentary. Yeah. 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 It's insane okay. because all of the conventional wisdom about like the Japanese economy and like all this other stuff, mm-hmm. like that Japanese people are somehow like inherently harder workers than Americans. Ah, yeah, and that's right. The that's success the thing. of all of that. 
the idea of like why the Japanese economy crashed in the 90s, uh, all of these like sort of conventional wisdom things that you just kind of yeah. absorb. Right. He just like puts the lie to all of them. And I have no idea if he's telling the truth or not, but he does have <laughs> like a grand unified field theory. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Good. That, like I'll have to was, check it, it out. Purely central banking policy. Wow. Yeah. Which what what about it though? Like th- that policy, uh, basically, like they there was and, like a, or like they no. Purposely... Basically, there was a war. According to his telling of it, there was a power struggle inside of the Japanese government between the Ministry of Finance and the Central Bank. Yep. And the Central Bank was basically doing these uh, lending quotas, where they were basically saying to banks rather than using interest rates as like the primary lever to pull like the yeah. US Fed does. Yeah. They were actually using uh lending quotas and basically saying like hey, we'll give you this amount of money, like we'll lend you this money, uh random Japanese bank. Yeah. But you have to lend out this much money to people in this uh, vertical. So yeah, like okay. the auto companies in Japan exist because of lending quotas where they lent money to banks and said, but you have to lend out gotcha. 10 billion of this to auto companies. Right. So like if auto companies don't exist, you need to go make auto companies exist so you can right. lend them money. Yeah. It's a very interesting telling of the Jap- the history of the Japanese economy. Wow. Very interesting. I will check it out. Yeah. Yep. It. I mean, it sounds very much like this. Uh yeah. Anyway, tell me about your New World Order thing. I mean, there's, uh, it's mostly just like dropping a, a tip, like go watch it. Because um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, just sort of the, like, you know, the rise and fall of of dominant nations. And like, and it basically covers like the Dutch mm-hmm. and then the British and then the, you know, the yeah. US. The, like those the rise are the and three. fall of empire. Yeah, right. Those three were like the previous three big like you know holders of the reserve currency in the past 500 years and and just the patterns between and he covers other ones too but the patterns between all of them basically um and that we're basically we're on the decline you know and china's mm-hmm. like if if we're just analyzing trends like china's up next for reserve currency sure. dominant nation you know and we have all the the trappings of like a nation that is on the tail end and is is uh but you know so it's it does leave the whole time I'm like this is very interesting. Is this just a whole bit to like make it more obvious that the US economy that the US as a nation is declining and that like China state. is yeah. right and is is going to be like the next big deal or is there some bit here and it it is optimistic at the end for sure. There's um, um but yeah. this phrase that I like inherited from another podcast called yep. that just where they just refer to echoes of empire Okay. And like, I'm sure it's from something originally, but I just like keep seeing it in the world hmm. that I just like keep thinking of the US in terms of like echoes of empire. Oh, being an echo of an empire? Yeah. Yeah. Like, we haven't won a war. When's the last war we won? Like, never. We can't win anything. No matter how much money we throw at the problem, like, we had a pretty we just big win. Straight up. Like, uh, 80 years ago. Uh, yeah. No, that was a big win for sure. <laughs> that was yeah. a big win. That was the big, that was the Which last I don't know win. anything, but after watching this 45 minute documentary, I know that that was the point that either that or World War One, but no, I think it was World War Two that like, that was the point that we became the reserve currency of the world, basically. Yeah. Also, we basically like, like beat Britain in 
being the top of the new world order you know also like the history we learn about uh the outsized impact that the u.s had on winning world war ii is pretty uh not true as well like yeah no comment but what do you guys there? <laughs> the soviets the soviets lost like so many people and just get kept throwing people at the problem mm-hmm. and did like so 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 much of the heavy lifting and we just kind of were like a wall on the western front but gotcha. anyway um yeah echoes of empire baby yeah echoes of empire that's uh that's something so that's that's pretty interesting we'll see yeah. how that shakes out the I thing keep, that I the, here's something that i like, practically here, thought about was i mean I still have to like, you know, weigh whatever. Um, I can't just let one 45 minute video, like nice graphic, like just basically just be the metaphor for the world for me now. Sure. Um, But you've evolved past that point. But here's something that, right, of course, but here's something that actually lines up like my generation, our generation, Daniel Colborn is like, and a lot of people in my position are in our position are like after uh financial freedom you know like this whole not working thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is textbook like post golden age you know civilization Mm -hmm. where there's like a civilization that's just like gonna be way hungrier and actually wants to work which is just naturally gonna just be like there'll be a productive nation and have a lot of income where we have a lot of debts and productivity declining because a bunch of people like me don't want to work mm-hmm. um like that one lines up you know would you agree like people wait just, i'm sorry what was the what was the thesis there oh uh, that were it felt like, like you were dancing around a thesis but never said it i mean the thesis is like i there's a movement that i'm a part of of people uh-huh. wanting to work less and make more yes. money and ride the stock market and stuff like that mm-hmm. and like there's got to be just from you know, like a checking the vitals of a civilization that as an indicator of like a declining civilization, you know, is that like, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't feel like, I don't feel like there is uh, a massive desire to work less. You don't think Um, so? Or as compared to like the seventies or something. Interesting. Like, I think there is a massive desire to work about as much as we worked in the seventies. The problem is that since the fifties, we have been working more and more and more and more and more and more and not gaining gaining more money by doing it. Gotcha. So we've been working more and getting poorer. Yep. Like on average. And so I think there's just like a massive like correction of that graph going on right now, which is people are like, hey, uh, I don't give a shit. Like I need more money if I'm going to work. Like I'm just not going to work for no money. Yep you know yeah but i also don't want to work like working sucks yeah nobody wants to work i guess like i'm thinking about about like a fit you know it's one thing for me to be on the internet and like at a young age and like listen to people like kevin rose talk about being an investor and things and you know building a company and whatnot and being into that but it's another thing to go to like a family party with random people and then be like I'm super into the fire movement and be like, oh boy, we're at that level now mm-hmm. where like, you know, this is the mentality of, of, a, I don't know, a good portion of the masses is like, yeah, be, you know, but I mean, this is that, you know, that whole like ride the index funds thing 
right. like just make enough money, put it all in index funds and ride that wave. Yeah. Like, um, do I trust the index funds for the next 40 years? Right. And it's, it's tough because that one is like really I'm into as my gospel, but, but you know, like but the world's changing. But right, that it is all predicated on, and a lot of that is like, well, you know, if the U.S. if the entire history of the U.S. stock market is any indication, like it's gonna work. But then, yeah. you know, if you zoom out but further, like, what if the U.S. is a bubble? Like, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. That that was an important takeaway from this video for me. Is like, well, yeah, okay, that's it. The U.S. economy is like infallible at during you know for the history of the U.S. economy, <laughs> but mm-hmm. for the history of the world economy, like, you know, yeah. Maybe not so, and Empire's just hitching your wagon to the the index fund train. That's what. Um, yeah, I mean, I generally don't fuck with the idea of like the infinite up and to the right line of capitalism. Right. Yeah. What do you mean? I mean, you do like in practice, but you're just saying you don't. Well, like, I mean, it, yeah, in practice, it it happens. Oh, I see. I'm, like, I just I'm just saying, like, I don't believe that capitalism can grow infinitely. Right, right. That it's cyclical. I think that value is inherently tied to labor, and I think that labor is a finite quantity. And it's cyclical, like in the sense of like, you know, the labor's like. Isn't there some cycle in your whole like Marxism thing about you know the poor people being like mad at the rich once they get richer, and then flipping the thing and then doing it all over again? Yeah, the dialectics. Yes. Yeah. What What's that? Give My me that whole quick. Marxism thing. Dialectic. Just give me the bit. Uh, dialectic is basically that like uh, that. R- there's the idea that like revolutions occur uh and he he like goes into a lot of detail describing the conditions that lead to revolutions right yeah but like that revolutions occur and then uh they sort of unseat the bourgeoisie and like right create like a a more flat egalitarian society and then over time the build back up the bourgeoisie right yes yeah yeah, I mean that's basically the this video is that that cycle sort of. Yep. Except <laughs> the conclusions are a little different. Um what are the conclusions? It's like I mean, build a bunker in New Zealand if you're a billionaire. <laughs> no, I think the conclusion is like this is a pattern. Let's see if we can reverse this pattern because we want the US to do really well. I think that's yeah. the imp- the implicit. Let's see if we know. can reverse this pattern because I am very much the rich and I do not want to get eaten. <laughs> Right. And I, I appreciate that because like yeah. we're all trying to get rich here. That's that's the bit. Yeah. I don't know. Um yeah. It is uh No, the, the idea of everyone being rich is an idea that I think is like so like absolutely foreign to like the American psyche. And You think like, so? Oh yeah. I don't know. I hear a lot of like like uh i don't know like naval is like you know wealth is not a zero-sum game like you know status right. is wealth is not like i hear a lot of that like it's right not... i think that's just sort of rich guy propaganda but okay. i think uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah you could be right <laughs> i think um because i think wealth is a zero-sum game at the end of the day yeah um but I think the idea that like there is enough for everybody and ev- we could get to a point where like we could get to a point where everybody is just okay. Yep. Um and like I don't think most Americans want a society without poor people. Like mm-hmm. I think the American dream is very much dependent on there are poor people and I'm not one of them. Yeah. 
Right. Right. Because like I still want to go to a coffee shop and not tip and get a two dollar cup of coffee. Right. Um. So let's say like, like I I I want to go to a restaurant and mm-hmm. I want a waiter to exist, but I don't want to do that work. Right. Yeah. And I Is want my food to be the, cheap. Well, That's I the, guess like if everybody's going to be rich, then uh-huh. I, it doesn't matter. Like, can we just not have prices and stuff? Sure, sure, sure. But what I'm saying is like uh, in the interim period between now and then. Yeah. Right. Like I want my food to be cheap. I want to spend like the same percentage of my monthly allocated budget on food that I currently do. Yeah. Without a decrease in the quality of the food or the quality of the experience. You know? Sure. I suppose. I don't know. I, I think food could be a lot more expensive and like the experience of eating out for me could be more expensive and I would still mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. I'd be fine with it if I was rich enough. You know? Right. Well, that's the thing, right? Well, currently I am rich enough that I'm fine with it. That I'm like, yeah. okay, you could double my bill and it's okay. Like, uh-huh. But yeah, I, I think that, like, I agree with that. Like, I think that the, the well, oh, I, actually, I have like a pretty good tweet about this. I came up with the, with the, because I've been fighting with myself to find like what, it, how much should I tip for like yeah. the last five years? Really? This has been like an internal okay. thing that I've been doing. Let's talk tipping. Uh, so I went to, I went to 50%. Whoa. Holy crap. Like, you should, I was just like, I should always tip 50%. Um, and then I was like wait dude (laughs) sometimes 50% if I order like like if I'm at a bar if I'm at a well no the other way if I'm at a bar with Charlotte or whatever and I get a coke and she gets a beer yeah 50% is $3 yeah like you can't tip a bartender $3 you have to tip a bartender at least $15 interesting like or that's like that's the cover for entering a bar is giving mm-hmm. the bartender fifteen dollars, and so like, I was like, okay, it should be like fifty percent, but then there's like, there's kind of this floating feeling that I have of like this is not enough, right? And mm-hmm. so I was just making it up based on vibes, but yeah. I wanted to like lock it down and come up with an equation, right? Okay. So I came up with what I think is the fairest. But then I was also like, it's not fair to say that people should tip 50% 100% of the time, right? Yeah. Like, I want to make a general ethical rule that applies to other yeah, people so I course. can know whether they're a bad person or not, right? Right. Um, and so I was like, well, you can't just say you should tip 50%. What if you're broke? Am I just now saying, like, you can only eat out if you're rich enough to tip 50%? Right. Right? So here's my new rule. You must tip enough that your waiter makes more an hour than you do. Hmm. So you look at the restaurant. You look at how busy your wait staff person is. Okay. You say like, okay, that table's probably doing $100 and they're tipping 10. You just assume everyone's tipping shitty except for you, right? Okay. They're tipping 10%. They're tipping 10%. 10% though? Does anybody tip 10%? People tip 0%. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Not everyone's a nice person. <laughs> There's a lot of mean motherfuckers in the world and all of them are like upper middle class. I don't think class. I know a single person. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah, dude. I want to know some statistics on this because it would actually change the way I view the world. 
we don't have <laughs> I don't think we have like a lot of food service current food service workers listening to the show. But we definitely must have a lot of past food service workers listening to the show. That's what we need to know. We need some data listener. Okay. I'm a back of house guy, so I don't have like specific stories about like rich guys. I mean, I'm sure everybody has stories about that, but I want percentages. Like give me the gut percentage of like, what is the, what percentage of people tip zero? That's what I want to know. What percentage of people tip zero? I just want to know what percentage of people tip less than 15%. Less than 15. Yeah, that's what I want to know. Less than 15 is like an insult number yeah um it is but anyway okay so interesting just fine if you want to assume that people are tipping 15 instead of 10 that's that's up to you 10 is an easier number if we're doing math so just assume everyone's tipping 10 percent. yeah eyeball their bill okay like that that's a hundred dollars that's eighty dollars that's fifty dollars right yeah Uh and you figure out like okay let's assume that a meal meal takes an hour Mm -hmm. and each of these tables is one meal right yep um and i'm gonna eyeball the bill so, like, if I add all those tips together, plus $2 an hour, or mm-hmm. $2.15 or whatever it is an hour, like, yeah. how much is that weight person making, right? Okay. And so then, when it comes time for me to tip, I think, how much money do I make an hour? Okay. And then I subtract what I've established that they're probably making from all the other people in the restaurant right now. Yep. And if that number is less than 50 so it i then tip either 50 percent or more or whatever i need to make up the difference so that they're making more an hour than i am yeah daniel this is r- l- silly why <laughs> how can you the the problem with this approach is estimating how many tables the waiter has you just watch them go to the tables and also estimating the price the price of each person's meal like each table's meal well, you, you can just, just do this it, quick you have like the you actually do you. this yeah i mean i don't i'm not like saying i'm always super accurate but i see like dude okay, you they have got... to be wildly inaccurate is well, my sure point. but you just fucking you just get close enough right interesting i much prefer like can you just okay daniel if you're gonna start a movement here you're gonna need to you're gonna need to come up with something a little bit more rule of thumbby mm-hmm. if we're we're talking no, here? this is the rule of thumb tip enough that your waiter <laughs> makes more an hour than you do that's the rule of thumb how how hard you want to work at getting that number accurate is up to you no no worst we, case scenario you can just tip them your entire hourly wage you need to do some work and find a better rule of thumb do some research figure out like average stuff and then we need like tip minimum of this amount otherwise 50 percent. i think that's what we need right um like isn't that a better just like principle if you're doing principles yeah so i guess we would have to figure out like on average how many tables does a server have yes right yep so like here's what i see i haven't been in the restaurant game for so long but like when i was in the restaurant game and i worked in busy restaurants yep like a really good night for front of house people was like $300. Okay. Yeah. Right. And like a bad night was $25. Okay. Right. And mm-hmm. so like we're talking, that's like the range. And w- the way that you, the way that it works is that you work a bunch of shit shifts in yep. order to get put on the schedule for one or two good shifts a week where you can make two to $300. Yep. Um, but you make like, 40 to 70 dollars a lot of days 
Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, I bill my client $130 an hour. So for the hour that I'm in this restaurant, that person needs to make $130. Yep. So like I need to like look around and be like, okay, from these other tables, they're probably going to make $35. So I need to tip $85. Yeah. Or $95 to get them to $130. Don't people like split tips with the like bus boys and stuff like they yeah, they they tip out the bar staff and everything. Yeah. So do you have to take that into account? I haven't been, and I probably should be. Well, there you See, go. See, this is the other thing: is somewhat. <clears throat> this is an app. You. you want a? You want an app? Here's an app. <laughs> yeah. I do want an app? There should be a tipping app, where uh-huh. cooks and back of house people can sign up for this app, right? And yeah. then the restaurant can like confirm like this is the official thing for this app. And yep. you can just tip the back of house people because those people don't get tipped at all. Yep. Um, you know what you should do? You should build there that that book. It's a book. It's called what is it called? It's one of those popular books mm-hmm. <laughs> by Daniel Kahneman, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's called Daniel Kahneman. Ah, uh, he's he's an economist, and mm-hmm. he wrote Daniel Thinking Eka- Fast. Kahneman. Daniel Kahneman. Um, he wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. I'm pretty sure that mm-hmm. that's the that's Daniel, the one I'm Daniel talking about. Economy man. Is it Thinking Fast and Slow? I've I heard think of that it book. is. Yeah, it's a really popular book. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I think like one of the one of the big points in it is. Like if you want to make a change, um, like you have to change, dude, it's not that it's a different book. You have to change defaults basically. Mm -hmm. Like that's a big, dude, the one I'm thinking of has an elephant on the cover. Does somebody know what this book is called? But it's similar to thinking that it might even be by him, Mm -hmm. but uh, shoot, whatever. They just do a ton of research into like how to change behavior, like people's behaviors and stuff. And like the only good way to do it is to change defaults. So having like... Is it called Nudge? Yes, it's called Nudge. That's what it's called. Yes. Is that by yes. Daniel Kahneman? No, it's by Richard Thaler. Okay. Gotcha. Well, there you go. Okay. It's anyway. yellow? Yeah, Nudge. You got it. Um, I googled pop economics book with elephant on the cover. Yes. Yes. <laughs> nudge. Um, it's a really good book. And... But yeah, I mean, basically, Daniel, what you should do is you should start a company or work for the company or something or lobby or something to get the default on those electronic payment devices changed, the range changed, because I think everybody just chooses the middle range or the middle Mm -hmm. of the range. You're going to do the middle, the bottom's like 17, the top's like 23, and you're going to hit 20 because you want to be the middle guy. Yeah. Like, that's just what you do. 100%, the bottom should be... 40%. 40%. But honestly, like, if you want to put money in waiters' pockets, mm-hmm. I'm using waiter as a word for waitress and waiter. Is that the right Waitron. thing? Like, Waitron. Waitron. Because, like, don't actresses not like actresses? Aren't they all just actors now? I think that's the thing. So, like, I figure waiters are like actors. So, anyway, I'm not, I'm not being misogynistic. I'm being actually, like, super on super top feminist, of things. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, waiters 
or waitrons mm-hmm. are uh yeah 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 you could put a ton of money into their pockets if you somehow got that default change to be like 19 to 27 or something mm-hmm. 25 is in the middle you know you should do that i agree i you uh, should do all the good things <laughs> i should also dude if i if i owned square yeah amazing things would happen i would make it make a loud embarrassing sound yeah, if you didn't that's tip. really interesting square you know, you're right that's the company to own for that's this the company to own. if you own square you yeah. could take over the world seriously wow if you want to start a revolution return to your childhood and kick out the bottom okay daniel do you hear that i heard a bird okay are you in the tropics i mean if orlando is the tropics I don't think it is though, but yeah, there's, there's birds. Um, actually are the neighbor, like their screened in backyard area. Uh-huh. We hear this bird. We've heard this bird and are like, what is that bird? And Hannah knows birds like very well. So she can usually just call out whatever bird. She, is she making knows that from sound. birds. She what? She knows from birds. What is that? Yeah, don't worry about it. Great. So the na- so she, I'm like, what is that? She's like, I don't know. Turns out they treat their screened-in backyard as a big birdcage for a cockatoo, which is Damn. awesome. They just have a cockatoo living life. I love to have a cockatoo before breakfast. That's right. Uh, so there, there you go, Daniel. Um, that's, the, that's the YouTube video that you should check out. Hell yeah, dude. Well, this has been a really awesome 40-minute uh, YouTube video recommendation segment we've done. I mean, are we doing another one of those? Because there's always more, and we both Dude, know it. You got more? Of course. Mm. I don't know. What, what's more? Yeah, I don't think I have I more. watch a lot of YouTube, and so do I you. I think you're talking a big game about having more, but I don't actually have more. Um, did you see... This is old YouTube news, but Mr. Beast's Squid Game recreation. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's super Amazing. old. Amazing. But it's very good. You're very awesome. interesting. Um, yeah, is that it there? I don't know. We'll shoot the dupe. Um, Caleb, I sent your uh, embrace the backend talk to uh, my Discord channel full of guys who are learning programming. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because a good friend of the show, John Drexler, Uh said he had to to learn a little bit of React for something. Uh And he was like, I think I don't like front-end code. (laughs) He's like, this is lame. Like, I like the back end because it's like object oriented and everything's like structured, predictable. Yeah, structure. And like, it's all about like finding a clean abstraction. I've like the first thing I this is my my great pride in this in this thing is I gave him the concept of clean abstraction very early. Nice. And he's like ingested it. And now mm. he lives the concept of clean abstractions. That's great. Um, so anyway, but anyway, he's like, it's all about finding clean abstractions, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I was like, I didn't respond. I just like copy pasted the embrace the back end talk into the channel. Nice. <laughs> I was like, there you go. This is it. Yeah. There's a, another, my um, full stack EU talk is, was released like, pretty recently even though it's two years old uh-huh. um and it's actually like a pretty fun talk uh and i'm trying to think if it's 
relevant for Mr. Drexler. But yeah. Right less JS? Yeah, right less JS. I remember yeah. helping you with this talk. Or nice. not helping you, but I remember you like running it by a dry run or something, yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I think yes. It it was like one of the more fun talks I've done, honestly. It's so funny to like track your arc through your talks. Yeah. Like just the pre live wire talks, especially. And right. be like, oh yeah, it makes sense that this guy made live wire. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's good stuff. Yep. Yeah. It's a live wire alley oop. Yeah. Yep. Um kind of gave gave yourself a whole little uh situation. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Just like find an opinion that's like pretty good and just grab onto it, make it mm-hmm. your whole identity. Yep dive super deep into it and then like build a tool that embodies it and then just yeah. take that well, like as far for as me like i i did that with the opinion that nfts are bad right and where <laughs> that landed you yeah it was just like this seems like something i could build a career on yep the nfts are bad guy nft i'm nfts are bad guy the obviously. nft skeptic yeah. but you really got to know nfts to truly be a skeptic right yeah it's so a long just, game right so you're playing the long game <laughs> on nfts yeah it's gonna be great when like uh all my nft ventures fail and i like return to being like anti-nft guy yeah that that'll push you over the edge you yeah, are nft sure. guy daniel so much you are so much nft guy like I don't know if I think it's probably just because I follow both of your Twitter accounts that I think you're super NFT guy. But if I only followed your your dev so Twitter account, can we then talk like, about my um, two Twitter accounts? Yeah, and the problem therein. I yep. want to get rid of my other Twitter account. Yeah, I want to go back to having a main Twitter account. Yeah, but that's going to mean tweeting more NFT things, right? To an audience who doesn't want to hear more NFT things. Yeah, that's true. Um. But I'm trying to, like, judge in myself, like, should I do this to them and, like, lose the followers? Um, Just, like, lose the followers who don't want to see me tweet about NFT shit? You have to decide if it's... Oh, that's tough, dude. I know. You, you kind of have to decide if it's but the I'm like, path you're going down for real. I'm, like, forking my efforts so hard right now. I know. With Twitter. Right. And um, it seems like there's so much more value in using my real account because like the main thing i like all right as a branding exercise like i think it's important for me to be like the doxed nft developer yeah right like that's kind of like the position i'm taking yeah and so like having my professional twitter account exist and be linked in the bio of my nft twitter account and be the thing that is linked to on the potheads website and all of that is key yeah but then i'm driving nft people to my professional twitter account and there's no nft tweets there and they're like does this guy even know nfts yeah yeah you know so then i'm like oh well i should like at least put a little bit of nft stuff on this professional twitter account but then i'm like oh am i gonna alienate my like laravel loving non-nft audience by like tweeting about staking or whatever yep so anyway it's an interesting tightrope to walk it is a tightrope to walk. It's um, people it's really hate NFTs so much. People hate them. Listen, they do. I've been there. I get it. <laughs> you of all people know that more than anybody. That's funny yeah. because when I was in your shoes, there I had a friend who hated NFTs. 
very close to me. I saw I saw like a really uh some really dope one of one NFT art go down. And yep. then I saw someone in the comments say, Oh, it's a shame. I've followed this guy for six years, but I will no longer support an artist once they do NFTs. Yeah. It's a shame because I really liked him. I was like yep. What are you trying to do here? Like, yeah, like what? Like, clearly you're trying to use some leverage, but like to 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 who? What end? What do people? What's the take on artists saying that NFTs are like ruining art? Do you know? Are you like read up enough yeah. on that? I mean, I would imagine that that's artists who were already finding a way to get paid without NFTs. Sure. <laughs> saying that's yep. the way like uh-huh, i don't know uh-huh, it sounds like to it. me like survivor bias yeah maybe you know but i don't know yeah i don't know yep i've heard some of that recently and uh yeah where there are nfts there are people mad about there being nfts that that's is uh, did you see the laydown auctions no but see i saw that you tweeted about them and was like i guess i i didn't know which twitter that was but i'm like daniel every time i see these things i'm like daniel's so that into was this. my main twitter that was your main twitter yeah. yeah like daniel's so hot on this um daniel's nft guy that's yeah. what daniel is so the ladal auctions i conservatively estimated that they would go me and eric barnes were actually talking about this in the tweets he was like seems like they're going to be expensive i said i'll be amazed if they go for less than 150 I won't be surprised at all if they go for two fifty. For the listener, that's one fifty soul. One fifty soul, or okay, which is soul. like one hundred fifty bucks. I haven't looked at the price soul in forever. Right. No, it's like a uh, hundred, probably one hundred twenty thousand dollars to, or sorry, uh, it's probably twelve thousand dollars to. Oh duh, yeah, I missed a couple of zeros there. <laughs> yeah. What? Wait. What's the price of soul right now? It's between eighty and ninety. I'm sure. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Go on. Um, it's always between 80 and 90 these days. Yeah. These months. So um, they went for 450 and 400. There was two mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. which is just insane. It's like insane money. Yep. 450 and 400 for two so people. 50 grand. Yeah. I mean, yep. combined, that's 80 grand. But yeah. How many pieces of art were there? Two pieces of art. Just two. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy town. Nuts. You nuts, know, nuts, nuts. yeah, it is nuts. It's nuts, man. Um, yeah. So Daniel. Oh, uh, okay. Here, here's like a fun, like tech topic, kind of somewhat yeah. fun. Um, Ben Ornstein tweeted something like, Hey, you know that I don't, I'm actually not quoting it properly, but I'm going to get the idea across. Like, you know, that mm-hmm. one-to-one relationship you have or that one-to-many, like, you're gonna to want to go ahead and make that a many to many right now. Tweet. I saw that. Yeah, tweet. like I don't even remember. Get so you know I'm not quoting it right, but like, go ahead and make it a many many right now. And you're gonna save a lot of time in the long run. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those things that just hit me. Like, wow, I've spent a lot of time in businesses, you know, like with that big feature hanging over everybody's head. That's like, make this thing many to many. Like, make it so that users can have multiple x or make Mm -hmm. it what it is is make it so that x can belong to multiple users that's what it is that sentence right there is responsible for so many like big 
tickets in Trello or Asana or whatever the that just keep getting kicked down the road. You think so? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I'd have to live squeeze. with it enough with the many-to-many many thing. You'd have to live with a code base full of... Here's the with thing. With a super generalized many-to-many Try code living base. with a code base with 15 unnecessary belongs-to-many's in it. Yeah. And then like, tell me how you like this strategy. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it's tough because... like, Well, he's at the point where he's feeling the pain of a non-premature abstract he's feeling the pain of being a successful business basically and that's the right pain to feel right because the alternative pain yeah you're saying the alternative pain is worse and i guess i'd have to yeah i have to think about that there's definitely like a class of class that should be you know many to many or or that this at least applies to what i'm saying is there's a certain amount of things that should always be one to many you know but then there are like the big kahunas in your application like you know, it's kind of like a tree structure. At least applications start that way as like the user is at the top. The main domain yep. items are at the next level and then things hang off of those. Yep. And it's like if you make the main ones many to many with users, like that might be that might be the way to go. Yeah. I don't even Dude, databases so like, are super hard. Whatever. So like say you uh say you were making like a parking app, right? Yep. And uh, there's like, people can get like permits, right? Yeah. Like parking permits. It's like a monthly parking permit, right? Shibling. And that parking permit is valid in multiple different zones. Okay. Right? So like this parking lot's good in this parking lot. It's also good in this other parking lot. Yep. But it's a single product, right? Yeah. So you would need a, you would need to link the zones to the permit products, right? Yeah. And like maybe early on, you don't realize that that you're going to have this need and you think that you're just going to be able to have each permit product is good in one zone. And then mm-hmm. later you discover, oh, permit products actually need multiple zones. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. How hard is that refactor really? It's not that hard. You think so? I know so. Because you did it? I did it. Yeah, that was a pretty specific example. And I do remember talking about parking at some point with you. <laughs> I did it. It's not that hard. Um, like I, I realistically, like the the place it becomes hard is once you have a once you've hung a bunch of other shit on that relationship, right? Yeah. So like once you have like a bunch of where has is or a bunch of eager yeah. loads or a bunch of other like random shit with that relationship mm-hmm. going on, but like, yeah, I don't know though, because like so many things become a loop that weren't a loop that's a big thing is like loopifying something that's not a loop is now like huge even just like design wise like loopifying drastically increases complexity and that's what happens when you go to a many to many um yeah i don't know it's pretty interesting i'm gonna argue that i think that making that a general and i i know that he was being tongue-in-cheek with it yeah but like i'm gonna argue that making that a general rule is bad like okay and that like you run the risk of writing just like massively bloated unmaintainable software yeah because you've introduced 15 new pivot tables for no additional benefit yeah my whole life is about having less pivot tables i know and mine too i hate pivot tables no one likes pivot tables hate them uh yeah 
Yeah, I don't know, Daniel. It's tough. Doing the, I remember at Titan, a specific working with, I won't dox this person. Working mm-hmm. with this person was interesting because I was like so heavy on Yagni mm-hmm. that I just never, like I, I would like refuse to do anything that wasn't totally MVP for this moment, you know? But this person was like, hey, actually, we're probably going to need this in like the first year. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so we should probably do this because it's going to help us a lot. And it, I really struggled with it, but I, I guess I never like, actually you took over the project. Um, Was it you would have to tell me? No. Um, So you would have to tell me uh, how that went. Was it like a multi-step form wizard builder? Yeah. Yeah. Wizard form builder. There were things inside the wizard form builder that I wanted to make more Yagni, but needed to, that got wag it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I added, the funny thing about I, Yagni I, is that <laughs> Yagni is, stands for both you aren't going to need it and you are going to need it. That's true. That's the best part about Yagni. Yep. That's true. It's the same acronym. <laughs> it's a fun bit. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah, we Yagni. You're never Yagni. wrong when you say Yagni. Right. Yagni. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, Yagni. No, that's a position you could build a career on. <laughs> mm. Yep. I'm the Yagni guy. I'm the Yagni guy. Yep. You either are or are not going to need it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Daniel. What's our next little bit here? <sighs> what is our next little bit, Caleb? Cloudflare released their API gateway thing. Oh, my God, Caleb. Please talk to me about Cloudflare. Let's talk Cloudflare. I have such curious envy about cloudflare yeah me too everyone's using cloudflare for all kinds of nonsense these days what the fuck are they all doing over there i know so is it dope is it better than vercel should i stop using vercel it's very dope vercel sucks that's so out nobody cares about vercel i love vercel okay daniel cares about vercel no vercel is cool um (laughs) why why is it dope why is cloudflare dope why is cloudflare doper than vercel cloudflare is cheap and fast Okay. Um, I'm not saying it's it's better than Vercel. I can't really compare the two because I've never used Cloudflare Workers, which is their like um, serverless functions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But their serverless functions are, I think they're like no cold starts. They're already at the edge. Like they're just so good um, compared to, I think Vercel, don't you pick a zone? And then if you like pay, yeah. you choose a bunch of zones and there's cold starts and they can be up to like eight seconds or some ridiculous that can't be right. No, the deploys are can be up to eight seconds. The cold starts are just cold starty, but um, but like a new deployment can be up to like eight seconds just for something. I don't know. I was talking, whatever. Um, but yeah, so like Cloudflare just has like the fastest, cheapest stuff right now, to my knowledge. Like that's mm-hmm. I think why everybody loves them, and they have a more like slimmed down, uh, like feature set. So when you're using Cloudflare stuff, it feels like like a comprehensible app that you can use and are comfortable with like forge unlike or something AWS or unlike something. aws where you're like well i can't do anything here and they've yeah. changed it because cloudflare used to feel not as bad as aws but it used to feel pretty bad because there were like a zillion menu items at the top and i was like i don't know what all these things are i'm just going to use cloudflare so i can get https really easily save on some bandwidth you know i've like been that's... a cloudflare maxi in one area of my life forever and, and that is, is that? dns Every single domain I own is Cloudflare DNS Um, forever for years and years and years. I've just been like, first thing you do when you buy a domain is point the name servers to Cloudflare. Yeah. I have my name servers memorized. 
Um, nice. The problem. What are they? Dorothy and Corey dot NS dot Cloudflare.com. Nice. Dorothy without a second O, not Dorothy. That'll really fuck oh, yeah. you up when you type that into your like name server. Jack with Dorsey a long with a lisp. Yeah, Dorothy. Yeah. Um, anyway, Cloudflare Maxi on DNS. Yeah. I immediately disable all of the features. Yeah. <laughs> no caching, no really? anything. Oh, yeah, seriously. Just you just go off. straight up pass through yeah. traffic. Okay. It's just like the best DNS manager there is. So I'm sure what that makes all it their a other good stuff DNS manager compared to you like can hover or whatever. Set uh, at records for A records. So you can do root A records and root C name records. Um, so like uh, a C name you would use if you wanted to point to like a domain. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Um, so you can do a, a root level C name. So, like, say I wanted to point danielcolburn.com to daniel.calebporzio.com. Gotcha. I could do a root-level C name. Interesting. For a long time, most DNS or most DNS systems in, like, registrars just didn't support that. Can you do that in Hover? Uh, You might be able to now, but you you, you, you weren't always able to. I needed to do this with something. And within the past, like, year... I need to do it with something and it was one of those things that I couldn't do and just thought like, oh, Caleb doesn't know DNS stuff and only like Googles for what he needs when he needs it. But then later on, I needed to do a similar thing and it and I was talking to somebody like, oh, just do this. And we just did that. It might have been you. Maybe that was the some of the potheads domain stuff that mm-hmm. that was like just super easy to do. Um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. OK, that's interesting. Um, it is good for that. So I'm that was like my original for... reason was like, you never yeah. know when you're going to need to do a root C name. So like, just get it into Cloudflare as quickly as possible. Yeah. And then set the TTLs to super fucking low. Yeah. So that right. you can nice. just like update domain names willy nilly very quickly yeah. to whatever you need them. So that's, that's just like nice. the reason that like, that's my habit. Yep. But like, I'm sure that Cloudflare is amazing because the th- the parts of it I have used are amazing. I used a transform, transform, transform rule or something. There's Cloudflare rules and stuff that you can do to like very declaratively transform URLs and endpoints, which is like super like handy. HTTP, or like uh, like rewrites and stuff, like Nginx yeah. rewrites or something. Basically all of that stuff, but with like a nice GUI, um, nice. which is great. And I used it for Alpine CDN because I wanted to, Tailwind has cdn.tailwind.com or whatever. And I wanted that for Alpine so I could just remember it and do cdn.alpinejs.dev. And I asked Adam what he does thinking that it was some like, oh, actually he does something super custom because they have to support like crazy stuff. Um, but whatever. He's just like, just do a Cloudflare transform. And I did and it worked great. And it's like perfect. So, and that's not actually published anywhere because I don't want anybody to depend on it. But uh, but here's a secret tip if you use Alpine. I personally oh. use cdn.alpinejs.dev all the time. <laughs> don't because depend it's on that just though. like but don't depend on it um but yeah but it was really easy to just be like oh here i'll just yeah um so there's a lot of cool stuff in there but yeah so they've had the workers for a while till crust till cruise till crust i think it's till crust long time or old time laravel contributor guy he one of was the, one of the best um PUBG mobile players in the world really yep. we talked about that we must have. I just forgot. 
crazy. I don't know. Yeah, he's one of those dudes. He he he's I was wily standing guy. on the on the escalator at Laracon Chicago with him. And we went to get coffee and he was like, "Yeah, I'm one of the best PUBG mobile players in the world." Funny. It was weird. Well, there you go. Things you learn about people. Yeah. He uh till 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 did what? Cloudflare. Daniel Cloudflare. He was super hot on Cloudflare like forever ago, like workers and stuff and was just deep into him and was using him for like everything. And so they've always been on my radar as like a cool thing that you could kind of use. But why do I say this? I say this to say that now they have API gateway. So they're starting to like flesh out their offerings so that you could actually. So what is like, API gateway? Uh, like API gateway for um, AWS. Like you could, you know, basically kind of set up your whole API interface, like your your whole domain, uh, inter- you know, like if you're going to be api.whatever.daniel.com or something, mm-hmm. um, you can route different endpoints. It's a router basically for the serverless stuff. So you can use it as a router for all your serverless functions and you could route like, I want this endpoint to be serverless. I want this endpoint to go to a different server entirely or to go to a static uh, file. You know, it's like, I see, I see, I see. Yeah. Interesting. There's a ton of other stuff that it can do like authentication and a bunch of like stuff, but I don't understand the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's just like a router for their serverless platform. Can I ask your opinion on uh, open sourcing something real quick? Sure, bud. It's NFT stuff, but I'm I'm open sourcing the staking stuff. Yeah, bud. Um, and the way it works is there are two API routes. Yep. And one React app, basically. Okay. Mm-hmm. React app that has a couple components within it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But realistically, you're only going to ever render this like all by itself. Right? So like it would be like one React component. Yeah. And two API routes. Yep. So I'm thinking about open sourcing this and basically exporting all three from one JavaScript. <laughs> whoa, Sorry, whoa, from, Daniel. <laughs> uh, right I discovered like a little coffee ground deep in my throat. That was so aggressive. Um, I'm thinking about exporting all three from one JavaScript file. Yeah. So the two API handler functions and the uh, the JS component. Yeah. Or the React JS component. Yep. All from one thing. And then you would just like import the React component. And then I know that it needs to be customizable and themable. But I don't think I care that much. So I think first I just like release it without making it themable. Yeah. And then eventually I'll just like add like slots ish things. Yeah. For you to like stick in your own render sure. functions or whatever. Yeah. Um. But yeah. What, does this seem like a sane approach to this? Because like I want I don't want to marry them to Next.js. That's the thing. Right. Yep. So I just want to ah, provide them functions that they can run on the back right. end. Yeah. Um, but these functions need to be... So this is the other thing. is like these functions need to pull from the ENV. So it's basically like uh-huh. the, what I'm thinking because like your private key... Well, let them is, handle the private key stuff and have them pass it in. Right. That's kind of what I'm thinking. That's it's what like you should you just, do. You just set it as like a, a required argument for the function. Yeah, exactly. So then... Yeah, so then I think we're good there, right? So it's like you, I just like export these two functions yep. and then I 
declare the requirements and then you can in whatever backend service you use yep. just like get all of the required arguments from the right. URL yep. which you're going to be getting from the requests that the react component is making right, so like right. you'll know you'll know what the structure of that request yep. is mm-hmm. and then you just pass it in so i'm like trying to think about like what's the way that i can like marry this as little as possible to my own implementation yep. without making it so abstract that like it annoys me to implement it in my own life yeah um i mean that sounds like a good abstraction two functions that take in everything they need and then like some front end bit that's super closed D because it's web three and has to be and needs all the like wallet yeah. jigamaru. Um yeah. Sounds cool. pretty standard. Um yeah, you should do that. All right, word. I just need to like say it out loud because yeah, yeah. I, it's been like floating around in my head of like I have this like React app. Yeah. That, or this right. next an entire app. next app. That... And I need to like make this into something that I can open source that people should be able to use not as a next app. Which means I have to go through and like riff out all the next images, I guess, because people aren't necessarily going to have next. Anyway, oh, right, right. All that yeah. other Just stuff. use normal but, images like a normal person. I know. The, I only fell for the trick of using next image once, and it was in this code base. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Um, on the Web3, nothing to do with Web3, but specifically this is where I ran into it conversation. The uh, so for the listener, all this Web three stuff. When you connect your wallet, that's like a whole thing that is not easy to do on your own. So you just mm-hmm. pull in the adapters off the shelf that only work with React. They work with other things, but you only use them with React. And they give you like a use connection or like use wallet or whatever, and you get all the stuff you need. Um, so this is just a commentary on React to continue complaining slash praising React and not knowing which one I'm doing because that's what mm-hmm. I'm doing here. It's like, I kind of loved that. The whole like, you know, from anywhere, you just call this function and you get access to this state and it all just lines up. But it's also like super hard to source dive. Really tough to like know stuff. Like who's providing this where and the thing that it's providing, what is that thing and how does that relate to actual code? And, you know, I don't know. It's a love hate with the whole like global hooks thing, you know, like not just your own personal use state context. That's what it is. Yeah, the context API, basically. Yep. yep. So, yes and. The, the real question is, yes and, would it be better if it was Redux? Yeah. Because that's the alternative. Right. Right? And like, It feels really nice to use. It feels super lightweight. Right. Like and that's the thing. You use this like, thing and like you get this state and you're like, oh my gosh, everything just if works. If you're coming it's from awesome. the battle days of Redux, yeah. context feels so much better. Mm-hmm. But that being said, contexts are everything that you say they are hard to source dive obtuse yeah there's these context definition files that people write that like if you follow the docs the react context docs yeah they will make you believe you need to write these incredibly verbose context definition files Uh. that actually don't affect your code at all okay but if you source dive them that's where you'll end up where for you the end definitions up, yeah. of things, not actually the source of the thing. That like you're ending finding. up in the TypeScript dot, you know, the dot. Which D. I actually love yeah. now. That's like my new shit is like, I love when it takes me to a TypeScript definition. What, Daniel, what? Because that's what I'm always looking for is like, what are the properties that I can pass into this thing? Funny. I feel like I'm never like, looking I'm for that. I'm always looking for like method signature type shit. 
but you just get that with your autocomplete, you know, like if the TypeScript definitions exist, you just get that in autocomplete. Well, no, but if I'm not writing TypeScript, I don't. Really? I don't know. Maybe. VS Code is pretty good about that. Like Maybe. I, I get I, most of that. I think it's just that, like the way that it, it, it all gets like crammed onto one line in that yeah. little like type, in that little type hint, or yep. not type hint, uh, tool tip that they give you. Yep. Like... Yeah. Yeah. What what I want is What do you want? I want GitHub Copilot mixed with snippets mixed with those type intelligent tooltips. Wow. Yeah, I mean that'd be nice. Where like it like puts it on the lines for right, you right. and then lets you tab through it like you do with snippets. Yeah. That'd be sick. Yeah. Yeah, Deek. Deek 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 deek. Deek 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 deek. Um deek, 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 deek. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Can I I came out with a new Alpine feature that I, I haven't actually tagged it yet, but um, I don't know if it's cool or not. It's probably cool for cool. me. I don't know You're if anybody... You're a cool guy. It's probably you just cool. say, Daniel, stop. You know Xmodelable, which we talked about on this podcast, came up with? Yes. For the listener, what it is is basically if you have a blade component and you use, an Al- use Alpine inside of it, but you want to just do Xmodel on the blade component, like if the blade component is like X weird input component or whatever. And then you want mm-hmm. to just X model to get the value out of it and not deal with the internals. We came up with an extraction on the show, an abstraction called X modelable, where in the source of the Alpine component, you say X modelable, some property. And now it's just available for X model to use. Yep. Yes. Okay. There is a situation I'm dealing with. I'm doing, I'm going down the multi-select select dropdown rabbit hole for oh. like third party libraries, building them. How many myself. times have you been down this rabbit hole? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is sort of the chief. If you're like, if you conquer this, you've conquered form widgets and whatever tool you're building or whatever. Yep. Um, and so I, I was working on like a native one and which is all sorts of com- complex. And then I was working on integrating with third party ones. Anyway, no matter what you, if it's a normal select dropdown, this problem even exists with a normal select dropdown. You want to pass in the options to show and also the selected option. And then like you want to, yes. you know, V model or X model, the selected option. Yes. You know, so if you have like just a native select picker, you V model or X model the option, and then you loop through for the options to put them in there. You need both to be reactive, right? You want the options to be dynamic so that you can, you know, change uh, a uh, country's drop down and have the state's drop down change or something. Mm-hmm. So not only does the select have to be dynamic, the options does. So it can't just be whatever. This is a problem. I guess it's not a problem for a framework like Vue or React because you would pass the options in as just a normal prop. Yep. Right? And if the props change, the whole thing would re-render. Right. So why is this a problem? Is this a problem? I'm trying to think here. Anyway, whatever. I added named X models. I'm not thinking of something properly. I don't know what it is, but whatever. Vue has it, and now Alpine has it. So you could do like X model colon foo, and it'll bind the foo property to that or whatever. You know, it's a way of exposing. Let's say X model will now output an object with named properties. (sighs) No, not like it. You can just use X model as normal. Oh, you can X model just like a random X data property that you have. So essentially like from the outside, if you're using it, you're just, 
Like, let's say that you created a blade component that's a range slider that doesn't just have the actual value that you're sliding, but you can slide in the min and max, and mm-hmm. you want all three values. Yes. Your only option is to have X model bind the whole object of like min, max, and value. But what you could do now is create an API that's X model value, X model colon min, and then something you put in there, the X model colon max, and then something that you would put in there. Gotcha. Okay. So anyway, it's, it's, how does this uh, relate to the multi-select? It relates to the multi-select because now that I'm saying it, like whatever, in a perfect world from a live wire component, you have a property and you have options and you can wire model the property and you can, the reason I'm hesitating is because it is kind of weird to wire model the options because they only need to be passed down, which makes them props. Right. But it's hard to get like reactive props that experience uh-huh. in live wire and alpine maybe that's the problem to solve i know that's that's why i'm hesitating here so <laughs> interesting that, that is the all problem right to solve. it sounds like caleb's got some fucking homework <laughs> yeah so i hope I, I didn't waste too much time with this so it's no fun. no i mean you built a cool feature yeah it is a nice feature and i'm glad it exists and no one will use it because people don't well actually people yeah. read people read people people do some some people so yeah, and then they'll get a bunch of hot tip tweet energy off of discovering it five years from now. Yes, that's great. People should do that. So that's it for me, Daniel. What time have we got here? Uh, we have Daniel. You got to go soon, and we need to edit this thing. Dude, we gotta we gotta go. We gotta if edit. You leave we... me, and I have to edit this alone. This episode's not going out. It's not going out. <laughs> which we learned last week. <laughs> which we learned with the other. But episode it was kind of it kind of worked out that the listener doesn't know about. It did yeah. conveniently work out. Um, yeah. For okay. the listener, we uh we had like uh we had like a debate <laughs> about like we we got into like we like settled some internal beef between the two of us live on the live air on last the show. Week. We've never done it, but it was like what started. And Caleb as kept just... being like, "Do we want to do this on the show?" And I was like, "Caleb, we're recording us yeah. settling this beef on the podcast." Right. And we did. Um, yeah, and it would have been an interesting episode, and you it would have like it, it, it wasn't not it wasn't like we couldn't have put it out. Yeah, um, no, we could have put it out, but then like we had another conversation after, and we like yeah, settled we the beef even further. Right, we we uncovered and so then it deeper was like, beef. I don't really want to put out this like two thirds settled beef out into the universe now that there is a fully settled beef. Right. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. The episode that never went out. That's there's been others, but this one yeah. is an interesting this one's one because it was actually one. a pretty good episode. That's the thing. Until the part where we. I mean, I mean, that would even make it better for everybody listening. Yeah. Guaranteed. Like, it might Maybe be like we, the juiciest ooh, thing you've Caleb, ever can we listened wear this to episode on our somehow? show. How do we sponsor where this episode? Dude, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> neither of us. Caleb, can you neither, make a whole we're infrastructure too for sponsor to, wearing episodes? <laughs> neither of us are capable of doing that. All right. If you send me five Solana, I will send you the MP3. That's the deal. Okay. You can That's, find my wallet address by investigating the creator metadata json on potheads there you go so i'm not going to tell you what my wallet no, but you're not going to know which one is <laughs> you have to tweet just me a DM, transaction hash yeah no just like tweet at daniel or dm him your wallet thing no he'll dm you your his no, wallet i'm thing. not dming nobody nothing you send him five soul send me ten and, send me uh, five soul and then i'll make caleb send you the mp3 because i don't have it right okay Actually, dan cole Caleb, we have to go. Dude, we gotta freaking go. Stop talking. <laughs> Caleb, stop running the show over. Okay. Would you um, 
Okay, I'll cue it. I'm going to cue it right now. Cueing it right now. 